A time is coming when nations will rise against nations. Famines will dry the world. Earthquakes will shake the foundations of the earth. A time of great evil and of great distress. The beginning of the end of the world. The end of time. The end of sin. Then, when no one expects, heaven will open. Jesus will return. The earth will be made new. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So keep watch and be ready for the beginning of the end. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in online. And wasn't that last song so cool? I don't, I don't know that I've ever sung that song before. Maybe I have. But I got to tell I love that song. And what a great day to sing it. Uh, happy Mother's Day, everybody. I'm so glad that you're a part of the service today. And moms, listen, we see, we see, we see the strength you bring to our families. We see the love that you pour out on your family. We see the sacrifices that you give to your family. And we see that you're making an impact in this generation and the generation to come. And not just even just in your own children's lives, but in their friends' lives, you're making a difference. And we're so grateful to you. And I want to do one more thing as we congratulate our moms today. I'm going to ask all the moms that are watching online right now, uh, you may be in your living room or your den and your family is gathered around you, or you may be by yourself. And if you're by yourself, I still want you to participate. I still want you to stand and I'm going to applaud you. But also in person on all of our campuses, the Sugarland campus, all the campuses, I'm asking all moms online and on our campuses, would you stand and let's give it up to our mothers right now. Would you do that? Yay God. And I see you. Yay God. Yay God for what you're doing and the impact that you're making. We're in a series about the second coming of Christ called the beginning of the end. And in this series, we're sort of walking through many of the events, not all of them. Uh, the, uh, the series would go a long, long time. We're not going through every event, but we're going through many of the events that are going to happen that are attached in scripture to the beginning of the end, the return of Jesus Christ. And two weeks ago, Jesus came back for his church and he raptured us out of here. The rapture this simply means the taking away. That's what the word means. And it says in the Bible, he's going to come and he's going to take us away that know Christ as our savior. And in just the twinkling of an eye, which is so fast, just when the amount of time it takes for the light to bounce off the eye, our physical bodies are going to be totally changed into our glorified bodies immediately. And we, our glorified bodies, 
flies, we can, we can fly and we will fly and meet Jesus in the air. And then he will take us all back to heaven. When we get to heaven, we will be ushered in to the throne room of God. And that's what we experienced two weeks ago. We walked into the throne room of God with God on the throne. And we got to see the glory. We got to see the majesty and all the things that are there around the throne of God and he that is sitting on it. It was amazing. It was a special time for me. Honestly, I thought of my mother and my father who are there, I'm just sure, at the throne. And I got so into that message as I saw them in front of the throne as we were talking about that throne. Then last week, we exited the throne room and we went to the judgment seat of Christ. And then today, we're back at the throne room and chapter five of Revelation. Now, the question you gotta ask is, oh, I don't understand the bouncing around. If we're already at the throne room, why don't we just finish the throne room last week and now we, the reason is because of me. What I saw as I laid it all out is that on Mother's Day, we would end up at judgment. And I didn't think that was a good topic for Mother's Day. I thought that would not really work out all that well. So I decided that we would do judgment a little bit early and come back to the throne room because I think the topic of heaven on Mother's Day is a whole lot better than the topic of judgment. Amen, is there any amen in the room here? I mean, I just thought that made more sense. So here we are, chapter five in the book of Revelation. And at the end of chapter four, what did we see? Chapter four, Revelation four, verse 10 and 11. The 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now, while all of us are singing this, all of us around the throne are praising him, the Bible says in the midst of that praise, God, with his right hand, reaches down and grabs a scroll and that scroll becomes the center of attention in Revelation chapter five that we're gonna look at today. The very first point that I want you to grab hold of in this passage of scripture is this, our world seems to be self-destructing and without hope. There was an article that came out just a short while ago in the New York Times in which they, I guess, commissioned a, a, one of the writers to, to explore the level, what is the level of happiness in America today? And the, this person wrote the article about the level of happiness in America today, 2021. And the writer said that today there are two political parties, the angry and the angrier. And that's the two political parties. Everybody's mad today. Have you noticed that? Everybody's so mad, so angry, so furious today. And the article went on to say that with the pandemic and with the social unrest and with, with the parties, two political parties just fighting each other and hating each other, while all the while being fueled by a media that wants it. By the way, I think that includes the New York Times. 
that our level of happiness today in America has plummeted and that people are stressed out, people are exhausted of the fight and people are so angry and sometimes don't even know why. I don't think any of us are surprised about the condition that our world is in and the condition that our country is in. The problem is that the the crisis that we face is that is unprecedented is we now have the technology, the science, the technology, the ability to wipe out thousands of people, millions of people, even the billion people in a very short period of time. And it is the most fearful, the most dangerous time in human history. And Jesus said this was what it would be like when he came back in Matthew 24, that we looked at the signs of the times three, three weeks ago, that at this very point in time, before, right before he comes back, this is exactly, Jesus said, how it will look. In fact, you take Revelation chapter six and beyond, and it describes that very idea so that there is a technology capability that you can wipe out millions of people all very, very quickly. It's unbelievable. We totally match what the Bible teaches is going to be at the end time. And it's not just the Bible saying it. Today, in what is called the doomsday clock, did you know there's a doomsday clock? When this service is over, please, when the service is over, when I'm finished preaching, look it up, Google it, doomsday clock, you're gonna be stunned. And when I was reading yesterday about the doomsday clock, and I have seen its hands change over the decades, for the first time I read the doomsday clock is now at 100 seconds. That's one and a half minutes and a few more seconds before midnight, with midnight being the end of the world. The doomsday clock is controlled by scientists. It's scientists who have said, we are so dangerously close, it's breathtaking, 100 seconds away from the end of the world. And it is within that environment that Revelation chapter five, verse one happens. Just chronologically, that's when it happens. And notice what it says. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, God, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, this scroll, that description, writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals, is a description of scripture of a title deed. The seven-sealed book is the title deed of ownership of the universe. When, When you buy a house, you get a piece of paper that's a title deed. It proves you own the house. You buy a car, you get a title deed. It proves you own the car. And there is this title deed now in God's hands that is the title deed of the universe. And something is about to be revealed. God made the universe. 
But after God had made us, we sinned, and that sin that we did not only damaged mankind, but it damaged all of creation. That is why in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, he says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Satan is now, the Bible says, the God little g of this world system. He has been running things in the curse. And he has been bringing it to destruction. He loves what is happening in this day. But God is about to take back the universe. And he does so at this moment of time in this structure of moving toward the end time. And now he picks up the scroll. He picks up the title deed to take control. So what happens then in Revelation 5, verse 2 and 3? And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. John seems, the apostle John who's writing this, who's seen this whole vision, he seems intuitively to understand what's going on, the importance of the scroll. And suddenly when he sees nobody can open it, he breaks out in crying, in weeping. And verse four, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Until suddenly... Everything changes. It's the second point of the passage. There is only one who can rescue the world. And look at what it says beginning in verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Circle the word triumph. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is triumph. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And from chapter 6 on, he is opening up those seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out unto all of the earth. John does not use adjectives to explain what is happening. He uses word pictures. And he uses these to describe this great one who is the only one who can break open the seals to the title deed of the universe. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He is a lamb that is slain. He has seven horns and seven eyes. What is all of this? First, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It is a picture of power and strength. It is the picture of Jesus in heaven before he came to the earth. 
in his power, in his glory. Second of all, he is of the root of David. One of the, the most important prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah is that he will be born a descendant of King David. One of the ways you'll know this is the Messiah is that he will be an ancestor of King David. So he is, that is listed. He is of the root of David. And now third of all, watch what happens. Jesus, the lion became the lamb. The lion became the lamb. I wish I could, I wish we could be here one more hour. I wish I could get one hour. This is, I, I, I can't do it because there's a fourth service that's starting before then and you are thrilled we're not gonna be here for another hour. I know you won't say it out loud, but you really are thrilled. But if I got the extra 30 minutes, you know where I'd go with this? This passage of scripture is all about an Old Testament idea called the kinsman redeemer. If you want to get deep in, in the word and this, that do your own study, I would take you back to the book of, Levit of Leviticus that talks about and introduces the kinsman redeemer. Then I would take you to the book of Ruth. The entire book of Ruth in the Old Testament is about this. Ruth and Boaz, the whole idea is that Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And now it is what's happening in chapter five. Jesus is about to become our kinsman redeemer. That's what's happening in the passage, but I don't have time to, to put that together for you, so we're gonna cut to the chase. No cheering at this point, please. Here is the idea. Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. Jesus never had a beginning. John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word. And in verse 14 of John, the gospel, John chapter one, verse 14, he explains that the word W-O-R-D is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Before anything was ever created, Jesus was already there. He had no beginning. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus was God. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God who has shown himself in three ways. God the Father, God the Son who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. This is why he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is there in his majesty on his throne. He is God in heaven. But something happens to this great majestic God, the Son of God in heaven. He leaves his throne. He lays aside his glory and he takes on in humility the role of the lamb. God in flesh humbled himself, took on a human body, took on the nature of a servant, willingly gave up his life. The lion became the lamb. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For you know that it's not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. What has happened? John sees Jesus in heaven. Now he sees Jesus come to the earth, a lamb. 
and he describes Jesus, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. What in the world is he talking about? Here is Jesus, the lion who's become the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he is slain. He is crucified on that cross. He is slain for you and me. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is dying in your place. He is dying because of your sins and mine. He is slain, but suddenly he's standing again. It's the resurrection, and now he is standing on the throne of God in heaven. It's the ascension of Jesus Christ, and nobody gets on the throne of God unless it's God. He is describing all this, the majesty of Christ coming in the flesh, giving up himself on the cross, being resurrected, and now in glory again on the throne, God, the Son of God. He is describing that. And notice what else? Encircled by the four living creatures. This is verse 6 of Revelation 5. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What in the world is that? The lamb has seven horns representing his power. He is omnipotent. He has seven eyes representing his knowledge. He is omniscient. Here is the title deed of the universe. God is going to bring an end to Satan's rule and reign. But only one person can open up the scroll. It's the hero of heaven. It's Jesus. So all of this drama is about Jesus. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seals, verse seven. And he, Jesus, came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. All this drama is simply showing Jesus is the only one who can rescue us. He's the only one who can rescue the universe. And he now steps up to do it. I wish we Christians would stop acting like some organization, human organization can rescue us. I wish we'd stop acting like some powers on earth can rescue us. There's only one rescue, and that is Jesus. He is the hero of heaven. There was a little boy that made a sailboat His dad had helped him and he made the sailboat and now it was time for the maiden voyage of this sailboat. He goes down to lake nearby and and he puts it in a little cove there thinking it'll be protected and and he begins to watch as it floats, boy, and it's doing really well and it's sort of sailing around because of its sails and it's being propelled by the wind, but suddenly there is a burst of wind that seems to come out of nowhere and it drives that sailboat out of that cove and into the lake and it begins to move it and there's no stopping it and the little boy keeps coming, trying to stay up with it along the shore, but he runs out of shore and then the sailboat keeps on going and out of sight and he has lost his boat. He put all that time and energy in it and the sailboat was gone. And he was so sad. 
A little time went by. He's with his dad. His dad's going to a secondhand shop to look for something that he needs. And while the little boy is just walking around, suddenly his eye picks up a sailboat in the secondhand shop. And he goes and investigates and he turns it up and there's his name on the bottom of the boat. This is his boat. Somebody found it. Someone sold it to the secondhand shop. And so he takes this sailboat to the proprietor and he says to him, this is my boat. See my name? And the man who owned the shop said, well, it's my boat now. And you can't have it back until you pay the price of the boat. So the little boy goes home, he breaks open all of his piggy banks, he gets all the money that he can muster and he brings all the money back and he buys his boat back. And as he is walking out of that shop, he is hugging that sailboat and he is saying, you are mine, you are twice mine. For I made you, you were mine because I made you, and now you are mine again because I bought you. And that's what Jesus is doing. Here in heaven, in chapter five, he is our kinsman redeemer. He is the hero of heaven. And he made us, and now he has bought us back out of our sin. And now he is about to open the history and the finishing out of this universe. And that's what's happening in the story. I think that's pretty incredible. Now here's the third thing. Praising Jesus in heaven will be the easiest thing you've ever done. Notice the next verse in verse nine, verse eight. And as he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Jesus takes the scroll. He picks it up. He has the ability to break the seals. He is about to do it. All the angelic leaders are praising him. All of the, the people that were Old Testament saints and New Testament saints are all praising him, or at least the representatives. And suddenly, all of us, all believers of Old Testament and New Testament, all of us stand to our feet. This is the description of going, what's going on in the story. All of us stand to our feet and we began to sing. And here's the song, verse nine. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were killed and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have caused them to become God's kingdom and his priests, and they will reign on the earth. Look at who is there. People from every country and every language and every shade of skin from all over the world are there around the throne of God. And we've all stood, I'm there. Oh, I am there. I hope you're there. Are you gonna be there? I'm there. Those of you who know Christ as your savior are there and we have gathered around the throne of God and it is there we begin to realize on a deeper level than we have ever understood before that we are brothers and sisters and the family of God. No matter what your shade of skin is, 
no matter your country of origin, no matter your language. We're all around that throne together. And there, more than we've ever understood before, is that we're brothers. We're brother and sister. We're family of God. Something happened at Sugar Creek that I've never even heard of before. And we've celebrated it many times. It, this is the, one of the passages that we have looked at many times. And we have said, this is Sugar Creek. What is around the throne of God? This is Sugar Creek. Something happened to Sugar Creek years ago. We were 93% white at Sugar Creek. I know that's hard to believe right now. You look around and you look at the other services. We were 93% white. We were 7% all the other ethnicities and just a smattering and something happened. God began to speak to my heart and I shared it with some others that we are to pray that God would cause this church to look like Fort Bend County. Fort Bend County, the most ethnically diverse county in America. And that we were to look like this region. So what do we do? We prayed. That's all we did. There was no strategy. There was no initiatives that we came up with. We weren't smart enough to, to come up with any that made any sense. And we just prayed and said, God, you've laid on our heart that you want this church to be ethnically diverse. And something happened. Something beyond our ability, our control happened. We don't even know how to explain it. It was like this giant magnet came up over this roof of ours, this big green roof of ours, and began to draw people from every country and every language and every ethnicity and every shade of skin. They just started coming. It was unbelievable. I saw it. I witnessed it. I didn't know what, what was happening outside of praying and asking God to do it. And God did it. And only God did. And we saw him begin to change us. And now we're 50% white. Now we're 18% African American. Now we are 17% uh, Hispanic. Now we're 14% Asian. And God has mirrored in this church, this county, and there is no explanation for what had happened except the mighty hand of God has done it. That's the only explanation. And we have said several times, coming to Sugar Creek, looking out over Sugar Creek is like being around the throne in heaven. It is every nation, every language. This is how he's describing it. And I know the topic today is about prejudice and racism. I know that's the topic of today. I think there are thousands and thousands and thousands of churches that are not, that are not prejudiced at all, white and black and Asian and Hispanic churches. But there is one church I know without a shadow of a doubt is not prejudice, and it's Sugar Creek Baptist Church, because what happened is God began to bring people to this church, and do you know what? That 93% white people in this church said, God, we have open arms, and whatever you want to do at Sugar Creek, the answer is yes, we're all in, and that's what happened in this church. People weren't leaving, it's just that we had so many more coming and this church tripled in size and God kept bringing every ethnicity you can imagine to this church and this around the throne 
we get a taste. We get a taste of heaven. And when we get there, we will understand more than even here that you are my brother and you are my sister. And we're all part of the family of God. In our Father's eyes, we are equal and we are one. Something else will happen in that moment before the throne of God. We will finally understand what it took to get us to heaven. We didn't get to heaven because we were so good. We didn't get to heaven because we did nice things. We didn't get to heaven because we went to church. We got to heaven by the sheer grace of God through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid the price for our entrance into heaven and we paid nothing. We couldn't pay anything. He bought our salvation. And when we get there and we see all these people all over the world around the throne and we see the lamb that looks as though he had been slain and yet he is standing on that throne, we will see the price that was, to, was paid for our salvation and we will understand more than we have ever understood before what it took to get us to heaven. Sometimes when kids come to know Christ as children and they grow up in their teenage years and adult years, they lose their awe. They lose their awe of God. Oh, around that throne, we will see the awe of God. We will see the glory of God. We'll never lose our awe again. Not only that, but we will then, when we are there, understand in a deeper way what our life was about. Why did he make us? Why did he give us the strengths and talents and abilities and the challenges? Why did he give us the things we are to overcome in this life? Why did he do what he did by bringing us into this world and we will better understand what our life is about and how God used us and what he, how he intended to change our life and make us new and make us to be an influence in the lives of others. We will better understand ourselves. We'll better understand what it took to get us there and we'll better understand our spiritual family. In heaven, we will sing of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing. Sing of the blood of Jesus Christ with more emotion and passion than we have ever sung. What can take, wash away my sin? What's the answer? Nothing. Tell me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount we know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Would you repeat these words after me? You ready? There is power. There is power. There is power in the blood of the Lamb. That's what they're singing in heaven. That's what they're saying in heaven. We will sing of Calvary with more understanding than we ever have understood before. We will understand fully our salvation then and we will praise him at the top of our voices. And as we're praising, 
Look at what happens in Revelation 5.11, and then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. No, no, don't get, don't get your calculator out and multiply that. That's not the intent. He's just trying to say there's going to be more angels that pop up now than you could have ever imagined. You never knew there were this many angels. There are angels everywhere. That's all he's saying in the, in the verse. And they circled the throne with the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I will be there. Yeah, I will. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm saved by the grace of God alone, by faith and no other reason. Now, my question is, will you be there? I know I'm going to be there, but will you be there? Online, will you be there? And here's what I want to say to you. You cannot, don't you turn off that TV right now. Don't you dare turn off that iPhone. Because if you walk away right now, this thing that the Holy Spirit is doing to convict you of your need for God, that will be washed away by Satan. And you'll walk away and you will not think of it again. But this is the moment. This is the moment of your salvation. And this is the time to give your heart to Christ. Don't walk away right now. I'm telling you, those of you who are watching online, there is a virtual next step center. And in a few moments, you're going to see how you can access that. And there are human beings, real live human beings that you can talk to online and talk to you about, how can I know Jesus as my savior? How can I give my heart to Christ? Don't walk away right now. Give this the chance and talk to one of our ministers online and pray to receive Jesus Christ right now. And I'm saying to everybody that is in this room and those who are on campuses, other campuses and are watching, I am saying this is the moment of your salvation and don't walk away from here. Go in just a few moments to the next step center, the real physical one here in this, at this campus. Out in the commons, you'll see the two-story playscape and to the right, you will see next step center and go there. How do I give my heart to Christ? How do I come to know Jesus? Jesus as my savior. How do I join this church? How do, I just need someone to pray for me at the next step center. Go there. Go there. And settle forever your salvation. Don't leave this building. Go get it done. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we say, oh God, we need you. And we ask that you would change our heart, that this would be the day of our salvation and that you would give us this moment in time to receive Jesus as our Savior, to give our heart to Christ and see our lives forever changed, to join this church, to, to just say, I need you to pray for me, to use this moment in time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.